This marks our 50th episode. It's been an absolute pleasure creating the podcast and crafting each episode so that you can join our curious conversations. In addition to thanking all of you who've listened, we also want to recognize the other members of our team who've worked behind the scenes. We've been lucky to partner with Clara Morgan of Notterly, who has masterfully edited nearly every episode. Because of his skills, it often sounds as though we're in the same room, even though we've never been. We've also been blessed with an all-star team at VCU Health, who've labored to ensure CME is available for each episode. Thank you, Wendy Martin, Trey Anderson, and Allison Scott. Fortunately, we're certain there will always be questions out there that will allow us to remain the medical podcast that asks why. Hopefully, you'll join us along the way. And now, episode 50 of the Curious Clinicians podcast. Welcome back to The Curious Clinicians, a medical podcast that asks why. I'm Hannah Abrams, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Tony Brew and Avi Cooper. Hey, guys. Hi, Hannah. Hello, Hannah. How are you guys doing? Couldn't be better. (laughs) I mean, I could, but... (laughs) Fantastic. In this episode, we are going to investigate the clinical entity of cefepime neurotoxicity. So, Avi, tell us, why would an antibiotic like cefepime potentially affect someone's brain. I guess it's probably worth mentioning, and we'll come back to this later, that it's actually not necessarily only a cefepime thing. It's probably more of a beta-lactam antibiotic thing, but it's probably best described in cefepime and the one that's sort of most invoked in clinical practice and the literature at this point. So we're going to focus on cefepime tonight for this episode. And so, But it is at the same time we're talking about how it's so well known. Cefepime neurotoxicity is, I think, probably under-recognized as a clinical entity. And the potential for its presence can really confound the assessment of encephalopathic patients. But at the same time, cefepime is a very effective broad-spectrum antibiotic. I don't want people to fear it. So, you know, in this episode, we're going to learn about the the mechanisms of cefepime neurotoxicity, some specific situations where caution is warranted. And Tony, can you just give us a quick primer on cefepime before we get going? Absolutely. So cefepime is a fourth generation cephalosporin. And I think you mentioned it being uh, one of these broad spectrum antibiotics. And typically I use that um, when an antibiotic covers both gram positive organisms and gram negative organisms. And that certainly applies here. So cefepime covers gram positives like strep pneumoniae, covers gram negatives. I think the most important gram negative that we typically think about with cefepime is pseudomonas. And then a couple other key characteristics are it crosses the blood-brain barrier, uh, so it can be used as a, a treatment for meningitis. But it also has important dosing um, implications because it's a renally cleared drug. And so uh, because it's renally cleared, uh, the dosing isn't just, you know, pick a number and go with it. You have to, to have to monitor it. All right. So cefepime neurotoxicity is a sort of like clinical syndrome that we see in patients who are sick enough to get cefepime. But in those patients, I imagine it could be kind of hard to diagnose what sometimes feels like a little bit of a subtle encephalopathy. So Avi, can you walk us through the sort of diagnostic criteria or how you think about the cardinal features of of cefepime neurotox? Yeah, absolutely. And this can be a really tough diagnosis to make because for the reasons that you said, Hannah, and it's one of those situations where you really have to have a high index of suspicion. And the spectrum of symptoms can be really broad, anything from a mild encephalopathy or some confusion to tremors, myoclonus, and full-on seizures. And we have the most 
clinical evidence to support an association with seizure risk, perhaps because those events are the easiest to observe, but it really is a, a spectrum of neurological problems. All right. So given that it is a spectrum and given the fact that there's a lot of different ways that it might present, are there any tips that you have for how we might make a diagnosis? Because you said it's probably more common than, than we recognize. Like we probably have all seen it and not made the diagnosis. Almost certainly. And we probably should have invited a neurologist on for this episode. Um, <laughs> and a pharmacist. And a pharmacist and an infectious disease infectious doctor. Infectious disease doctor, yeah. Um, yeah, but I, I think this is is one of those diagnoses that you just have to consider and not forget about because day six of cefepime therapy, patient gets confused. It actually could be the drug. And so, you know, timing of drug initiation versus symptom onset is important, like any drug toxicity. And there actually are apparently some certain EEG or electroencephalogram patterns that can be consistent with a drug related encephalopathy, such as triphasic waves or non-convulsive status epilepticus. I think if those were to be occurring in a patient on this medication, that should raise concern. But at the same time, you don't want to anchor on this diagnosis either, right? Like you don't want to miss like primary neurological pathologies either. So it is very challenging. So when was cefepime neurotoxicity, this idea that this was an effect of the drug first described? Like how did people figure it, figure it out initially as a clinical entity? Way back in 1999, so actually not that long ago, was when the first report of an associated neurotoxicity with cefepime was reported. And it was published as a letter in the journal Nephrology Dialysis Transplantation. And there was a patient who had end-stage renal disease who got high doses of cefepime. And about four or five days into their course, the patient developed confusion, tremors, myoclonic jerks, tonic-clonic seizures. And the clinicians, they, this was pretty cool. They actually used reverse phase high-performance liquid chromatography to measure the serum levels of cefepime, which is not something we do clinically. And they were not surprisingly quite high. So they dialyzed the patient and then did the chromatography again. The serum drug levels came down. And at the same time, the neurological symptoms resolved as well. So yay. That's pretty incredible. And also that they like got access to high performance liquid chromatography quick enough to use in a clinical setting and like optimized it. And like these must have been some uh, an, an incredible <laughs> set of scientist clinicians. And the fact um, that they, they even considered it so much that they went looking for the liquid chromatography, that that's like good on them. So it's true. So they must have known somehow that there might yes. be a pathologic mechanism behind this. So what is it, what's the proposed mechanism that might have made them think to, to say that this was the cefepime? One important clue is that the ability for antibiotics to induce neurotoxicity, it's not actually unique to cefepime, particularly for seizures, even though cefepime may be one of the more, it's probably one of the more common offenders. Um, I certainly remember learning about carbapenem-induced seizures, even in, in med school. But it turns out that like we talked about at the beginning, all beta-lactam antibiotics, including cephalosporins and penicillins and carbapenems, can cause neurotoxicity. So it really does seem to be a class effect. So that's probably an important initial clue. So what is it about beta-lactam antibiotics that leads to this neurotoxicity, specifically this idea of seizures? It turns out the answer is in the name, beta-lactam. So remember that all types of beta-lactam antibiotics have beta-lactam rings as part of their structures. So it's like very creative naming that we have. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, cefepime and cefazolin seem to be the most sort of seizurogenic and piperacillin and cefuroxime are sort of on the 
lesser end of that spectrum and less seizure-inducing. Um, but a 1971 study in cats implicated the beta-lactam ring specifically as a source of neurotoxicity with these types of antibiotics. And essentially, they what they did was they connected the cats to a monitor brain activity while giving them high doses of penicillin, which those high doses induced seizures. But when they administered the enzyme beta-lactamase, which degrades beta-lactam rings, um, the cats were protected from getting seizures induced by penicillin. So something about breaking down the beta-lactam ring blocked penicillin's ability to cause neurotoxicity. Okay, so we think that the beta-lactam ring component of the structure is the thing that's causing the neurotoxicity, but but why? Why would why would a beta-lactam ring affect the brain? Well, it turns out that cephalosporins in particular block the binding of the inhibitory neurotransmitter GABA-aminobutyric acid, better known as GABA, to its receptor in the brain. And this was demonstrated with cefazolin in rats in a study from 1985, where the researchers found that it actually physically, the, the cefazolin physically blocked the GABA receptor. And it actually did so in a concentration-dependent manner. So the more cefazolin was present, the more the GABA receptor was blocked. And so presumably the same is applying with cefepime, and that's what it's doing. So actually, when we think back to that case study from 1999, it seems like those clinicians were well-versed in rat studies from the early 1970s and had read all the studies in the 1980s, uh, sorry, cat studies from the 1970s, rat studies from the 1980s. <laughs> cats and rats, yep. Uh, cats and rats. Yeah, they, they... The year is 1999. <laughs> the Backstreet exactly. Boys are famous. And you have read every cat study of amoxicillin clavulani. <laughs> Fortunately for your patient, you have, because now you're going to- yeah do the liquid chromatography to make the diagnosis. But okay, returning to GABA, Avi, can you just remind us a little bit more about GABA receptor, how it functions, and why it's relevant here? Yeah, and as we mentioned you know, briefly, GABA is an inhibitory neurotransmitter in the central nervous system. It binds to the GABA receptor to sort of do its work. And there actually are two main types of GABA receptors, appropriately named subtype A and subtype B. <laughs> Again, very creative names we have. So subtype A is a ligand-gated chloride channel. And cefepime binds fairly well to this GABA-A receptor. It blocks chloride influx, which essentially blocks GABA-A's ability to respond to GABA signaling. And so it makes sense, actually, that a drug that can block GABA would lead to neuroexcitation and things like myoclonus and tremors and seizures. And so and among the cephalosporins, those that bind GABA-A more tightly are more able to induce seizure activity. So it really does seem to be a one-to-one -one correlation between the tighter and beta-lactam blocks GABA-A, the more likely it is to sort of induce neurotoxicity. Mm, yeah. It seems like that bond is really in sync. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, but going back a second, why does cefepime, I don't typically think of cefepime otherwise or beta-lactams otherwise as medications that we use to block GABA. We don't exactly prescribe it for um, like neuropathy. It's, we don't call it gabapeme. I think of them as very different molecules. Are they related? Totally. You know, I wondered this myself, and it turns out that GABA and the beta-lactam ring have some structural similarity with each other. So that probably explains why beta-lactam antibiotics have this potential to sort of wreak a disinhibited havoc in the central nervous system, just because it sort of looks like GABA. Okay, I, I want to return to the 1999 case in these remarkable clinicians who were quite erudite on the literature at the time. Okay, so you said that that case um, of cefepime neurotoxicity occurred in a patient who had renal failure and they were on dialysis. And we spoke earlier about how cefepime is renally cleared. So 
how much of a role does renal failure, GFR, creatinine clearance, all that play into the risk for cefepime neurotoxicity? Yeah, it's really, really important. And it's probably the main risk factor for cefepime neurotoxicity, and, and in particular, not appropriately dose adjusting for GFR, for glomerular filtration rates. So in one cohort study published in the, the journal Critical Care in 2013, the authors looked at 100 ICU patients who received cefepime. 15 of them had some form of neurotoxicity, and 13 of those 15 patients had acute kidney injury or chronic kidney disease. And so of those 15 patients with neurotoxicity, only four had appropriate dose adjustment for renal function. And so that's why, you know, this is, it's just, it's so important to get the dosing right. And this sort of makes sense actually, because if the problem is that the beta-lactam ring physically blocks GABA receptors in the brain and the serum drug levels rises significantly because of renal failure or a lack of a dose adjustment, then you're going to have more cefepime getting across the blood-brain barrier, more GABA receptors getting blocked. Yeah. Thank God for uh, our pharmacy colleagues who who help us appropriately dose medications like cefepime, which can I feel be a little bit tricky sometimes with communicating the dosing because it's not always clear if you're wanting to do the higher dose for pseudomonal coverage, which I think can sort of lead to some challenges there with making sure that you then dose adjust. To that point though, is it just AKI increased drug levels? It's, it's just surely the quantity in renal failure? So there's one more wrinkle to the story, and it seems like the metabolic milieu in renal failure patients may matter as well. And so a study in 2018 looked at cefepime's ability to induce seizures in rat brains, and the authors bathed the brains in a hyperkalemic medium and a normokalemic medium, so high potassium and normal potassium levels, and then they exposed both to cefepime. And the rat neurons surrounded by higher potassium levels had more seizures after cefepime exposure than the brains surrounded by normal potassium. And we certainly see this right in patients with a history of seizures in general, and they maybe have breakthrough seizures during times of metabolic derangement. So this is not sort of a foreign concept clinically. But for renal failure and risk for cefepime neurotoxicity, it probably reflects both drug levels and this sort of metabolic milieu that's around neurons. Yeah, I feel like that clinical syndrome of myoclonic jerking to me, ever since I saw a case of cefepime neurotoxicity, just like always in a patient with renal dysfunction and particularly bad renal dysfunction, just always triggers for me immediately what is the drug effect going on here? Something sort of like unique about it. This is um, you know, one of those topics that is fascinating, but also so relevant to the kind of patients I care for. I feel like half my patients are on cefepime. And the other half are uh, encephalopathic. Um, well, actually, there's got to be some overlap, so yeah. it can't be. Yeah, it, yeah, they're not mutually exclusive. Anyway, there's a lot of patients on cephalopathic. There's a lot of patients who are encephalopathic. So th this, I think, is supremely relevant. So I'm really, really glad that we talked about it. But you got to have some take-home points for us. What do you got? I do. And you know, so cefepime can induce neurotoxicity by blocking the GABA receptor, similar to how other beta-lactam antibiotics can induce neurotoxicity, particularly seizures but also encephalopathy, myoclonus, tremors. And this likely results from structural similarities between GABA and the beta-lactam ring, which is sort of wild in my opinion that they look like each other. And the reality is that this is a class effect with other beta-lactam antibiotics. Renal failure is the main risk factor because of decreased clearance, increased serum drug levels that leads to more blockade of GABA receptors. But hyperkalemia probably also predisposes to cefepime-induced neurotoxicity. Incredible. The moral of the story, thank you to pharmacists and thank you to the 
uh, and to ID Docs and to the incredible team that discovered this in 1999 on the fly uh, while taking care of their patient. Just is incredible. there? Are we able to nominate people for the Nobel? Yeah. <laughs> I think liquid chromatography in real time, yeah. <laughs> I just like, I mean, the the number of emails that must have taken in 1999, too. <laughs> exactly. Incredible. Post-it notes. Right. Post-it notes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Is, is that how people communicated pre-email? Um, that wraps up another episode of The Curious Clinicians. Thank you, as always, for joining us. As a reminder, you can join our mailing list at CuriousClinicians.com to stay up to date on episode releases and have detailed notes to re- delivered directly to your inbox. We are excited to partner with VCU Health to offer CME and MOC credits for physicians and other healthcare professionals just for listening to this episode. For more information, you can visit ce.vcuhealth.org slash Curious Clinicians. And as always, the information contained in this episode is for educational and entertainment purposes only and does not constitute medical advice. Until next time, we've been the Curious Clinicians.